As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week, three perspectives and one point, how we saw the Norwich game. Another arduous trip to North London sees Newcastle leave the Emirates empty-handed once again. Speed all forever, ten years after the great man's passing. And international Geordie Bashing Week comes round again. Once a month seems a bit much though, doesn't it? Hello indeed to you all. This is uh, Pod on the Tyne. I am your host, Taylor Payne. And it's a pleasure to introduce my friends and yours, the Athletics Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Woff. And our senior writer, Mr. George Colgan. How are you, senior writer, George Colgan? Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. It says on the script here, very quick hello, badinage. So I'll just say um, yes. Good. Okay, excellent. Chris, how are you? Uh, well, hearing you describe George as very senior writer makes me uh, chuckle, so that made me feel better, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Does George have a senior writer's badge? He must do. It's not like very senior as in terms of like OAP. It's like very senior in terms of very important. Can we? It's very VIP, not very OAP. That's what that means. <laughs> you managed the steps in the Melbourne end all right yesterday, then Georgia. Just, just about. Just about. My knees are a bit still a bit sore. <laughs> all right. Well, yes, we've got lots to talk about today. Anyway, so uh, let's crack on, chaps. Why the devil not? Come on, you Maggies. So, after the uh, expected defeat at the Emirates, we hosted Norwich on Tuesday night in a game that, hilariously for late November, uh, felt like a must-win if Newcastle are going to avoid relegation. But instead of sitting here and boring you lot with uh, another studio discussion, uh, we thought we'd do something a little different um, with Chris in the press box, uh, George, uh, myself and uh, my, my young boy in the stands. We thought we'd document the experience as it happened. So, here's the story of Newcastle United versus Norwich City. Thank you. 
George um, up there. So Bobby Robson statue walking up the hill. So we're here at St. James's Park about 40 minutes before kickoff. I apologise for the music in the background, which Newcastle United have decided over the last few weeks is going to be deafening. Fans are starting to filter in now. So we've just walked into St. James's Park for the first time in uh, just over three years uh, to see the Newcastle Norwich game. Uh, I brought my boy Jackson. Say hello, Jackson. Hello. <laughs> and it's his first game since 2017, so he's absolutely over height. There's uh, a mixture of excitement and also nervousness. Got that sense of adrenaline and quickening as I get close to the stadium. Always have that. I'm a bit late. At least I'm a lot later than I normally would be if I was in the press box, but uh, I'm not. I'm in the stands tonight. So we're hoping that a good new class is going to show up and we might get three points. I also have a bit of a sense of dread, I have to say, but I've had that since Brentford, really. I just felt Newcastle had to win that night to stay up, and they didn't. That said, six points this week, and perhaps it all feels a bit different. The team sheet is out, and it's interesting to see that we have Jamal Lewis in the starting 11, something that has not been seen in recent weeks, but obviously with Matt Ritchie's suspension, Jamal Lewis starts against his former club. So it looks to be a very attacking side. Not quite sure how they're going to line up. It'll be fascinating to see, but it's certainly a very, very attacking lineup. Looking at that team, I've only had a little look on the bus on the way in, but shit or bust really, isn't it? I think that's the position that the team are in. You can feel the tension around St James's Park. You can also feel the excitement and anticipation. The atmosphere is starting to build. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be on the right side tonight. Anyway, speak to you at halftime. Clark plays it against Pookie, who's got away and in. Oh. Him back. This could be trouble. Kieran oh, he's off. has been sent off. Newcastle are down to 10 men inside 10 minutes. This football club, man. This football club. What a start to the first half that was. An absolutely brainless uh, red card from Kieran Clark after only nine minutes. So all the optimisms really seep out of Newcastle United and fans early in the game. A very touchy and edgy St James's Park. Newcastle have still tried to get forward and tried to attack and St Maximum's been bright and Gillington's had a few shots from distance but it feels like we're getting penned back. And Really it's been all Norwich since then in terms of possession. Very little quality on display from either team. Very few clear cut chances. Do you just get that feeling that this season is, is just one of those seasons? You know, the biggest, best thing that could have happened to the club has happened and yet on the pitch it just resolutely fails to happen. It just makes me think of the year Newcastle finished fifth. I mean, not in a good way, obviously, but that season sort of just everything went right, everything flowed for the team. Almost like Steve Bruce first season where Newcastle was somehow winning games and you just couldn't explain it, and this is the opposite. It could be anybody's guess what's going to happen. It could end up 7-0 to Norwich, although Newcastle just need to try and stay in the game for as long as possible, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Almir on in the second half uh, for a bit of legs, maybe to try and hit them on the break. You never know. You know, it makes me think of Watford when they should have won but didn't. makes me think of 
Eddie Howe's first game. He's got COVID, so can't be there. That momentum is lost. To be fair, the crowd have really stuck by Newcastle. Newcastle were applauded off at half-time, which was maybe a little bit of a surprise, but the players are certainly given their all. Uh, the likes of Joe Linton has been involved a lot. Shelby playing a lot of balls from deep, trying to find Wilson, but they've been restricted in the chances they've had. Still goalless and still the opportunity to go away with three points, but a big, big ask to, to last 80 minutes uh, with just 10 men. Obviously tonight, that's sending off after 10 minutes. It was a clear red, but not much you can do when that happens. It's just the way it goes. Uh, so we'll see what happens second half. You never know. Fingers crossed. Oh, this club. Callum Wilson could have a penalty to take. It is a penalty. It took them long enough to decide, but it is quite rightly a penalty for handball. Wilson, right-footed, Gallagher end, comes forwards, and Crawls saves it onto the ball, but it goes in. Uh, there's trouble on here. It's Gilmore with a great ball in towards Ida, and Dubravka pushes it away. Janul is back in. Here's Pukki into oh. the top. Have equalised. Well, there we go, walking away from St James's Park, finished 1 1. Well, that feels deflating. I mean, Newcastle, for large periods of the second half, took control of the game. Federico Fernandez's goal bound header was blo uh, blocked by the arm of McLean, and, and Callum Wilson stepped up after a long VAR review to score the penalty. Tim Cool got a hand to it, but it went in, and, and St James's Park was absolutely rocking at that stage. For a moment there, I had a feeling we were going to win it, but couldn't keep it up. Federico Fernandez, man of the match for me as well. Thought he was great when he came in. Showed the kind of fight that we've missed in the back line. I've actually come away from that feeling, if not happier about the position, because I don't. I think that's it, really. I feel quite proud of the team, actually, watching that. And that's not something I thought I would feel after 10 minutes, but they gave everything there. And I just like this team. They're not very good at football, but... I, I like them, I like their honesty, I always have done. I like the character they show and there was just resilience all over the pitch there and there was resilience in the stands too. It's almost as if the, the goal came too early. The crowd was behind them but it just looked like they were hanging on for dear life at the end. And, but it was always going to be an uphill struggle. I think a point with, with ten men is fair. But we really needed the three tonight, but there you go. What did I say, yeah? It's not enough. It's just not enough. A point, given that they played for 81 minutes with 10 men, feels in some ways like a point gain, but really it just doesn't feel like enough. Newcastle lost having seven points from 14 games. There's six points adrift of safety. We need a win desperately against Burnley on Saturday. I mean, that's that's the minimum that we need now. So we're just going to have to wait and see. There was a bit of frustration right at the end that perhaps Newcastle were pushing to try and win it. But honestly, they were dead on their feet. They were, they were dead on their feet at that point. And I think... That was just about protecting the point. It's not a point that does them much good, I, d I think, but I can sort of understand it. It's difficult not to feel very deflated, but I like the character and I just like this team. I think it's a team that's going down, but I still like them. Anyway, fingers crossed for the three points on Saturday. So, George. Yes. 
Where do we go from here, mate? Uh, the, the championship. Cardiff away. <laughs> Non-stop. Well, Chris goes to Cardiff away. Yeah, Chris Chris goes to Cardiff away. This was where the very senior writer part comes in. I, I go somewhere. Yeah. I go somewhere very different. Start flexing your senior muscles. I, I, need to, I need to pick some of these games to see what, what's the equivalent of George going to Brighton. What, what can I do for him in the championship? <laughs> Plymouth? No, they're not in the championship anymore, are they? Yes, I mean it was a very Newcastle game, wasn't it? Yeah, I have this. I sort of said that in that in that bit of audio. I kind of, I, I've, I've just got this feeling now that it's one of those seasons, and um, I think we've seen the other side of it a couple of times. And uh, I mentioned Steve Steve Bruce's first season as manager. I mean, admittedly, that wasn't a kind of glorious, a glorious uh, prospect at all. But that thing of like, how how yeah, it's like winning games. How how is this happening? You know, it's not it's not like, and. I mean, yes, there was luck, but it was also just that thing of things running for for Newcastle, VAR, whatever it was. It just it was like this is sort of astonishing, and I just feel like this season is the opposite. And again, I don't think it's you know there's no travesty of justices here. They should have won at Watford, for example. You know that, the, and if they had, perhaps things would have turned a bit quicker. Perhaps a win would have changed. You know the story. I'm not saying that Steve Bruce would still have a job, but you know they would. The, one win just leads to another. It's just the way it works. I just feel like this season, it's sort of the, the thing that summed up more than anything for me was Brentford. Finally, 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 you've got the takeovers happen. Here's Eddie Howe. He's gonna be on the touchline for the first game. This is the chance to do it. Then he gets flaming COVID and he's not there. And so you've still got this thing of this sort of sense of delay and frustration and I, it just feels like that and then you know you get to last night and he, you know he is going to be on the touchline and it's a brilliant atmosphere again and everyone's singing his name and then with eight minutes you've got you know you've got that sending off and again it's not about luck it's just about things just are not going I just think this season has has that smell to it that um, things you know we've we've used up not not luck necessarily, but we've just that that thing of things running. It's just it's the opposite. It's it's the opposite. It felt to me like for a long time we were getting away with it, and now it feels like we're no longer getting away with it. Chris, do you know what I mean? Well, it almost feels like like things have turned, and I think in in some ways they've been a little bit unfortunate in some of the games. Certainly in terms of their attacking sense, but the problem is defensively they are they remain shambolic in so many ways and that's why they're in the position that they're in because they concede stupid goals and they concede goals at damaging moments and they they or they do things like Kieran Clark giving first kicking the ball directly onto Timu Puki and then brainlessly pulling him back and, and getting dismissed after 9 minutes and then that that gives them those issues and then you go back to Brentford and the goals are conceded Arsenal at the weekend sloppy goals again in terms of, in terms of how they conceded them and I also think actually and uh, I I think if Carl Darlow had been in goal for the game last night, then he would have received a lot of criticism for the build-up to, to Norwich's goal. And I do think Dubravko, although he made that huge save at the end, I do think he was partly culpable in that goal. The defence was also culpable as well. And so these these issues are, are coming back to, to bite Newcastle. I thought for so, for so long last night, the 10 men put in a heck of a lot of effort and they were out on their, their, oh, yeah. they were basically out on their feet by then. I thought that they put in so much and it was wonderful to see in terms of defensive sense, the endeavour that they put in. And actually, up until Norwich scored, I think in the second half, Newcastle were the, were the, were the only team who really looked like scoring. Norwich are a very poor side. and that But that is the issue. The, the issue is Newcastle have got to the, are in this position because, and the reason why 
it is looking increasingly perilous and some people say it's negative and it's still a long time to go but the issue is that they've played four of the other bottom 10 teams all at home and they've drawn all four of them against Southampton, Leeds, Brentford and Norwich. They've also already played Watford, Palace and Villa away and not won any of those. They've taken six points from possible 21 against their nearest rivals and that's the issue because you look at the December fixture list coming up. If you can't beat the teams in and around you then who who are you going to beat? And that, that's a problem Newcastle have 14 games in and and they really are in a very very difficult position. They are. I mean, that. I mean, I, I don't think people need us to, to go through those fixtures in December, but I'm going to anyway because it's a bit of torture. Uh, I'm, and I'm like that. Uh, Burnley at home on Saturday, obviously, and then Leicester, Liverpool, Man City, uh, Man United, and Everton uh, before we start 2022 with an away tie at Southampton. I just can't see where the next points are coming from, George. I can't see. Guess who's being sent to Southampton, by the way? Or is that you, by any chance, is it? Senior Muggins. Writer. Muggins here, yeah. yeah. Um, Can you not just tell him no and just say, no, Chris, you go. I'm having the... Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I know my place. I know my he's place. Having a, he's having anymore. a very senior day out. So. Yeah. <laughs> Down the south coast, I mean bath chair. Um, can I say say one thing, sort of positive? And it's it's. Um, I'm sorry that I kind of have to ask permission to do that, but I feel like I sort of do. Um, <laughs> that I, I I do completely agree with Chris. I, I I sort of felt vaguely emotional towards the end, just because I I, I felt that those players could not have given anything more. I mean, I really didn't. And I know that people were kind of getting a bit frustrated towards the end because really a point wasn't enough and I, I it wasn't and I completely accept that. But they were absolutely, they were done. They yeah, were yeah. done. They, they gave everything. And the kind of nice thing about that is that we know that this is a limited team. We know that they're not very good. That frustrates us. But they, they gave everything and and... It seems like a very basic thing to kind of get emotional about, but I did. And the other thing is being in that stadium and still having that sense at the moment of everybody being on the same page, you know, everybody wanting the same thing, that the crowd were good, the crowd stayed with the team. And it's it's unusual. That is so unusual because we're so used to people chanting for the manager to go, chanting, you know, chanting for the owner to go. We've had that for a decade and there's none of that. And that feeling of... A club, all right. We might be shit. We not might not be very good. We might be losing this match, or we you know we need to win and we're not winning. You know all of those things can can be happening in a game, but we all want it to. You know we all want the same thing, and it's really kind of quite powerful, albeit in a very sort of shitty little way because it's a game against Norwich which we haven't won, and so I had lots of mixed feelings. I had lots of mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that I wanted to wanted to mention, uh, make a point of mentioning. One of them was Jill Linton, who I thought, bless him, did a really good job. And I thought he, he grafted his arse off last night and he covered that right-hand side, shuffled across when Ryan Fraser went off to, to reshape the team after the red card. And he never stopped running all night. He was he was absolutely fantastic. And apart from that as well, the when the penalty went in, when the goal was scored and the entire stadium was singing, oh, Callum Wilson, hoo-ha, I want to know how you scored that goal. I looked down at my little boy who was standing on my left and he had a massive smile on his face and his eyes were like saucers. And I thought, you know what? It's not that bad, is it really? It's not that bad. It is bad, but it's not that bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's if I was, I, I did want to ask about Jackson, yeah, what and and how he experienced it because... 
you know the the fear is that you go to a game like that and you leave with the uh, strong desire never to go back and witness anything like that ever again. But well, this is it. I mean, he he he's been to a couple of games before, but they were a good few years ago, and he's at the age now where he's kind of forgotten. I know he saw he knows that he saw us win a couple of times, which means it must have been a while ago. But he Wins one he of was. <laughs> he was absolutely up a height um, all day um, and all night. And then we went for some food and stuff beforehand and he was just sort of sitting, vibrating in his chair, excited, ready to go, <laughs> you know. And uh, and I said, come on, we'll have a wander up to the stadium sort of like 45 minutes before the game. We got a program and stuff. And I always remember going up there and getting program beforehand uh, when I used to go when I was a kid. And I went to my first game when I was 10 and he's 10 now. So I kind of imagined things through his eyes and how he must be feeling, you know, and going up the metro escalators and stuff. And everyone seems huge and all of the men smell and they all swear and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and and it, it must be mad to view all of this through through a 10 year old eyes but to me the, the the cynicism of you know of being 39 year old lifelong Newcastle fan that the, the cynicism that comes with that isn't there with him so even when we went down to 10 men the first thing he said to me was I still think we can win this and I went are you mad what is wrong with you are you crazy we've, we've got 10 men we're not going to win this now uh, and then the goal went in and he turned to me and went see <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I can't argue with you, kid. You know, fair enough. Yeah, but he, he absolutely loved it. He, he loved every single minute of it. And he was still bouncing around the house when we got back last night at half 10. And he was, uh, oh. took a while to get him to bed. That means that means we've got him for life now. That means your work is done as a parent. That is, you've well, passed on the family. You've <laughs> passed on the family curse. That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I'm chuffed a bit. We had to suffer. Why can't they? Yes, so you should suffer exactly that. Um, and also, um, uh, let's have a, a little think about these stats as well, Chris. US election boffins five three eight uh, put out some stats today, giving us a seventy seven percent chance of relegation. That sounds quite generous, doesn't it? But they also, because you sent this across, they also gave a less than one percent chance of Champions League and a less than one percent of win the title. So really, there is still a chance. You're saying there's still a chance. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's not it's not over quite yet. But no, I mean, they, you can understand exactly why those statistics are there. I mean, if you if you look at the Premier League table, it's the th- the strange thing is that I mean, a lot of teams are struggling for wins. Eddie Howe chatted about this. Was we asked about it before the game, and he's right in the sense that the the bottom sort of eight teams are really struggling for wins. Um, but Newcastle haven't got one yet, and they haven't won at home. They've played seven games at home, haven't won one. They're already six points adrift. We're speaking before Watford played tonight, so that could that could extend further. And teams are pick Leeds obviously got their, their injury time win last night, and and Norwich have picked up eight points from the last four games in a period where Newcastle have only picked up three points in the same period of time. And that's the issue is that teams are pulling further clear and Burnley have got two games in hand, already two points ahead and then one game. And then they also play Newcastle on Saturday. I mean, that Burnley game, I, I'm in the sort of same camp as George. I'm in the very much glass half empty or quarter empty, I think. I think quarter left in uh, camp. But equally, if they, if they win against Burnley... I think that that suddenly that that hope starts to come back a little bit, and suddenly you think, mm, well, maybe they've, that that just get, might give them a tiny little bit of positive momentum going into to what is a very difficult December fixture list. But Everton are struggling at the minute. Leicester are sort of hit and miss. 
Um, it, there, there are still opportunities within within what is a, a difficult December fixture list if they can get a bit of positive momentum. And, and as I say, going forward, Newcastle are looking a lot better. You can see what they're trying to do. John Joe Shelby, I think, in midfield is playing well, the best that he's played for a long while, and is dictating play from there. Um, Callum Wilson took his good, obviously took the penalty well. They haven't got enough. They're not getting enough clear cut chances from him quite yet. But I mean, it's hard to say that from the Norwich game because Newcastle played with ten yeah. men for so long and I, I do think going forward that they do look like they have more ideas they do look more inventive and more dangerous and so if they can if they can just shore up a little bit at the back and for large parts against Norwich maybe that was because it was backs against the wall maybe it's because of the situation they're in but they did look a lot more solid and if they can just build on that then there is there is still a chance as, as slim as it's becoming now just just for the record, my glass isn't half empty. My glass is shattered into a million tiny pieces because I've smashed it so hard against my own head in an attempt to knock myself out to like numb all this. Oh, it's very dramatic, that, George. Yeah, oh, I know, but that's the kind of guy I am. One one thing, I spoke to someone kind of around the dressing room today who's, who said that there is still confidence that uh, that Newcastle can stay up. And, you know, he sort of said that, you know, this is the kind of club we are. We can go to Leicester. We can get a win. We can go to you know, it'll be the Newcastle way of doing doing things. But at the same time, he also said that it's that this is a culture thing. It's a mentality. There's been a just get by mentality at the club. You know, do where you do the bare minimum, and eventually that fails. You know, and I think we are seeing. I think we are seeing a bit of that, and that does include hanging on to players for too long, and it does include um, you know giving players contracts when they should have been moved on and things like that to save some money and that's part of it you know as well as that whole sense of that this is a club ticking over which you know was spoken about um publicly this season but we you know we all know has been there behind the scenes uh since they came back into the premier league really uh certainly by from the people at the top of the club so i think you know when i said earlier this isn't, you know, it's a season that's not running for Newcastle. A lot of that is self-inflicted. You know, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, what's that? What's that uh, famous naked gun quote, George? That you love? Uh, Doctors say he's got a fifty-fifty chance of living. Though there's only a ten percent chance of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a belter, isn't it? That's the one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we'll talk about uh, that Arsenal game at the Emirates uh, in a little bit, but it was a poignant weekend uh, for the family of Gary Speed. 
plus fans of the teams he played for and indeed managed uh, after losing him to suicide a decade ago. Lots and lots of uh, Gary Speed information and stuff on the on social media over the weekend. Uh, did you see the Dan Walker thing, uh, George, on uh, on the BBC? It absolutely brought me to tears watching that. It was a it was a tough watch, wasn't it? Yeah, very difficult. He was obviously uh, doing football focus with with Gary uh, the day before he died, and of course our own Alan Shearer was at the Man United Newcastle match. With him and um, yeah, Alan Alan produced this um, very poignant and emotional uh, kind of piece in which he uh, he spoke to he spoke to um, Gordon Strachan at Leeds um, to Sam Allardyce who uh, managed him at Bolton to Duncan Ferguson who of course played with him at Newcastle and um, and at Everton and John Carver. And Simon Grayson, who came up with him as a kid, and then of course Chris Coleman, who followed him as as Wales manager, but was very close to him throughout his career, and and did this piece, which um, I was in on some of those interviews, and helped Alan out with a bit. So, um, yeah, and would love people to read. Try to be try to be upbeat through it uh, as much as possible, and try and tell stories of you know the player and the man, as opposed to sort of what happened towards towards the end. Obviously, Alan was incredibly close close to him there were some emotional and sad parts to it but the thing that sort of stuck stuck with me which was very nice was that sense of Gary's smile and that attitude that he carried with him you know that sense of professionalism how good he was as a player and everybody talked about how gorgeous he was how handsome he was uh, Gordon Strachan talking about um, he would intercept his fan mail at Leeds and say, "No, you're too young to get this. No, you can't have that, Jesus." And he would sort of do that, and then um, and um, and yes, they all sort of took the piss out of Gary's laugh, and he did have he had one of those kind of comic laughs which you didn't think could possibly be real. It was high pitched and it was very squeaky, and he would you know he, he had a perfectly nice solid voice, and then he would laugh, and it was like something out of a kind of comedy film and sort of everybody talked about that and everybody loved making him laugh because when he laughed it made you laugh too and so I hope that that piece captured a sense of of the man man he was and the player he was and um, yeah Alan talked about the little sort of swagger that he had he called it a strut that was the first thing he noticed about him when he walked into the Newcastle dressing room he didn't know him didn't know him as a person he said he had this little strut and he walked on his toes and it made him made him look sort of two or three inches taller and he thought to himself yeah he's got something about him this lad you know in that sort of um in that kind of environment where first impressions count and of course they became very 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 close I've never, ever seen anybody as good in the air uh, as a midfielder in my entire life. He just, the ball just seemed to get attracted to that forehead and he could he could uh, cause some havoc in the box. Uh, Chris, any any memories of Gary Speed? Yeah, I mean, what you say, the, the arriving at the box late and, and being a wonderful header of the ball. I also remember that goal he scored against Bradford from outside the area. Oh, which was yeah, just an off absolute, the bar. And off the bar, yeah. Um, Screaming. He was... I think he was a he was a player who, in that side, he was never going to capture the headlines because obviously you had the the, the exciting attack and talent of the of, of the likes of Shearer, Solano, Robert, at various different points. You had Rob Lee and the likes beforehand, but but speed was just such an integral part of it, and he sort of knitted it all together. And you and you hear the likes of <clears throat> Jermaine Genius and Kieran Dyer talk about how influential he was on them having someone like Gary Speed alongside them, and he and he was pretty Newcastle had so many. 
leaders at that point, and, and Gary Speed was primary among them, and he was he was he was a vital part of that side. And I know that uh, Bobby Robson was wasn't uh, best pleased when he was let go of to go to to, to Bolton, and then not. I mean Sam Aldice says in that piece about how he knew that that, that 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 Gary Speed was so professional and had looked after himself so well that he, that he would be able to carry on for years, and he was excellent for that Bolton team for years afterwards. And Newcastle really missed him for a few years after that. So just a, a absolutely wonderful uh, player and a, a very very important part of that side. Absolutely. Fantastic memories there of a, of a wonderful, wonderful man, Gary Speed, uh, who passed away 10 years ago this week. Newcastle get the corner though. Manninger stayed where he is and Speed again. And Newcastle have got the lead back. And Gary Speed, that's goal number 13. Unlucky for the Gunners. Typical Gary Speed arriving and converting. Right, it feels like a million years ago, doesn't it, chaps? But on uh, Saturday lunchtime, even gone, 12.30 precisely, Newcastle played Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. Not exactly a happy hunting ground for Newcastle over the years, and that trend continued on Saturday, didn't it, George? Yes, I have to be honest, after after Brentford, I didn't expect anything else. I mean, I, I know we've talked at length about Norwich, but for me, Brentford felt like the big one. And um, I might be wrong in that, but it just did. It just felt like I, I'd sort of had my... Enthusiasm, enthusiasm sort of drained by that Eddie Howe news and then got there and I was just watching that as a fan as well and I know it was a good game and I know that there was there was sort of enterprise in it um, but I felt so deflated at the end um, and I just felt so tense watching it you know I just had that sense of just tension watching it so I couldn't enjoy it it was kind of quite strange but I didn't feel like that at all with Arsenal because I just expected us to lose and so I can't say that I was surprised by I can't say I was surprised by any any part of it really No it was a good showing from the away fans Chris wasn't it just over 3,000 and went down to the Emirates and uh, even with train nonsense and storm R wind causing bother all over the place uh, we still put a good showing in there the away fans Oh, it's, it, The the commitment of, of away fans and Newcastle United away fans is just it, it staggers me Second every on. single time I mean I went down on on Friday I'd, I'd booked to go down Friday anyway because of the fact that the trains were already before there was all the, the storm chaos the trains were already going to be four and a half hours roughly to down to London because there was works going on and obviously with it being an early kickoff half 12 yeah BT Sport and the schedulers did not help Newcastle fans at all in that sense either and and, and obviously everything that happened with Storm and the the trains were off up to up to Edinburgh and there was a lot of problems on the line and, and a lot of fans I know I spoke to basically had a the, the train got into London just before kickoff and then they had to get the tube up and they were running in I spoke to some fans who got in two minutes after some fans 10 minutes 20 minutes after the game started and the fact that they even decided to get up on that morning and try and still get there just shows immense commitment and they were excellent throughout as well and they applauded the players off Eddie Howe and the players went over after the game and the Newcastle fans stayed upbeat and they continued cheering the team even though that second half there was particularly deflating because for 45 minutes, Arsenal were poor and Newcastle contained them relatively well. But the second half was, so well, certainly the first 20 minutes of the second half, Newcastle were completely outplayed, conceded some sloppy goals, silly defensive mistakes again, and really didn't threaten that much going forward. And so 
it was, it, as George said, it was in many ways it was expected that Newcastle would go there and struggle, but but I think the way that they just sort of meekly surrendered, certainly early in that second half, was 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 disappointing given everything that those fans who who travelled down to to had been through to get there. It was a fairly decent show for a penalty as well, George, wasn't it? Colin Wilson getting bundled to the ground from behind by Gabriel at one point. Um, a few people have said it should have been a pen. A few people said it probably wasn't or shouldn't be. What, what was your take on that one? Uh, I'm not entirely sure if I'm bothered. <laughs> I actually thought the share incident was more of a penalty. Oh. I thought the I thought the, the oh, yeah 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 absolutely yeah that was that was Stonewall. I'm not sure what's happening with VAR there. If it doesn't look at that and find that as a penalty, does it? Is it? Are we getting into the idea of they don't want to re-referee the game? Is that where we are with that? It I'm just seems like a strange I'm, one to ignore. After the day, Mick Richards was was going on about oh, if you if you gave that, then you'd have to give loads of penalties a game. Well, good because you shouldn't do it because he's off. It's off the ball. They'd stop do it. You wouldn't give loads of penalties because people had stopped doing it if you start giving penalties. It really annoys me when people make comments like that. It's like it doesn't matter. It's 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 again it's against the rules of the game to be able to do that. Yeah, he's he's not trying to play the ball. This is what I thought about the Wilson one, you know, as well, Chris. I, to me, if he gets bundled into from behind anywhere else on the pitch, to me it looks like a foul. Um, and because he's through on goal and it's kind of the last man. It's not given. Um, and Alan Shearer said this on Twitter where he said he didn't think the Wilson one was a pen or he didn't think there was enough in it to be a pen. Uh, uh, and I replied to him saying, um, you know, if, if if that's you, Alan, and you get bundled over, you're absolutely screaming at the ref for a penalty there. And he said, yeah, fair enough, I would be. <laughs> I thought, well, you know. <laughs> honest. There you honest. go. Yeah, yeah, it's true though, isn't it? I mean, it, I, I think if he gets shoved in the back like that, there's no attempt to play the ball from Gabriel. He's just ran into his shoulder and he's knocked him over. I think... To me, that's a penalty. But there you go. But the Shaw one definitely was, was, I think, was a pen. I shouted. I shouted for both of them from my from my city. But uh, it's I don't know. I have that sort of thing. I think maybe it's a maybe it's a, it's sort of an age thing. But I I kind of look at it, and I know it's not quite it's not quite accurate to say this because you can get you can get a penalty out of absolutely nowhere, and it can completely and utterly change the context of a game. I know that. So my reading of this is probably is probably wrong but I tend to look at it from the bigger picture do I look at that whole game and feel a sense of burning injustice and I, I just do not at all I realize that that then sort of downplays the role that drama can can have in a match that something dramatic can happen out of nowhere and completely change the complexion and it can make a make for a fantastic spectacle and make for a fantastic match I suppose my my sort of cynicism or whatever it is about Newcastle the way Newcastle are and have been for the last you know, decade or so, is that I just look at that game and think, well, Newcastle deserved to lose that, so I can't really get massively angry. Fair play. It's all in all pretty much exactly what we expected today. Correct. <laughs> oh, there's the dinger. Oh, my word. Does that mean the quiz is coming back, George? Well, bearing in mind that Newcastle could be 20 points adrift when you know in the next month or so i'm i'm actually maybe thinking quiz. that the the quiz may be a good idea the quiz <laughs> may have to come back just so we've got something else to talk about ollie you got that you recorded that yeah you heard george say that me and chris will start writing up questions this week uh right we'll be back in a shake of a lamb's tail two seconds This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. 
dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, uh, before we finish up, just a few loose ends from this week's media, all of which have uh, relevance to Newcastle, albeit in very slightly different ways. Uh, The first uh, and most directly pertinent was Dan Rowan's interview with the Premier League's Chief Executive Richard Masters, uh, and he was asked directly about why there was a sudden change of heart in granting the Newcastle takeover the green light. I mean, it was well over 18 months of discussion, a legal challenge. As you know, when you resolve a legal dispute, there are limits to what you can say. So we ended it by coming to a conclusion around those legal assurances that the Saudi state would not be in control of the club. Well, the issue was about control. Um, And so we resolved the issue of control. We've been given the assurances, and there are ways of ensuring that we are comfortable and satisfied that that remains the case. Interesting stuff, George. I mean, are we ever going to know the truth about what led to the takeover suddenly going through, do you think? Well, Richard Masters has been very good at... Not really saying very much, hasn't he? Throughout the whole, throughout the whole, this talking, but sort yeah. of saying. I mean, but that, it does raise more. It does kind of raise more questions. It's like, okay, well, what are those assurances, and how you know, what, how do you enforce those assurances? So, okay, suddenly we find out that um, the Saudi state are indeed running the club. What what do you do about it? Well, who who then runs the club after that? Yeah. Confiscate their eighty percent share. He was even asked about this, and he basically said, or at least the transcript that I read, he basically almost said, yeah, well, we probably won't know if that happens. It's like, well, so what? what is the... It doesn't even make any sense anyway. It's like he's talked of had legally abiding assurances, but if, if we can find out that, that that it isn't, that there is actually influence, then we'll, we'll intervene. But basically, we're probably, we're probably aren't going to know if there's any influence. It's like, well, what, what the heck has been going on for... What was going on for 18 months? Yeah, I, and I... I just think, I just think again, sort of very, very briefly. I think sort of I've said this before, but you know, Newcastle fans were called on to push the Premier League for transparency when the deal didn't go through. And I said at the time, I think that's a noble cause, but you know, it's it's not a cause that that works just as a one-off subject. And so, just because the takeover has has now gone through, doesn't mean that we should stop wanting transparency. This is this is the this is the fans' club. You know, it's still their club, so people should still have an interest in in the ownership model. What's happened and why? Why it's gone through? What these assurances are? This is about the future of the football club. So I'm not saying that um, anybody's going to be protesting outside the Premier League headquarters again about this because clearly they're not. But it's you know I think it's fair for other people in particular to sort of you know to call for transparency over this but you know 
also with everything. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll obviously come on to talk about the, those, those other stories that have been in the news this week. Yeah, uh, the Premier League's boardroom business has been in the headlines more than usual uh, following the publication of the Crouch Review. Aston Villa CEO Christian Perslow gave an interview defending their contribution to the football pyramid. Uh, is any idea what, what the Newcastle's new owners feel about it, George? Yeah, I mean, the club haven't said anything directly about this, but my sort of understanding is that they're they're broadly in favour of the of the Crouch Review, which is very heartening to me. Um, you know, the owners have have talked from the start about um, fan engagement and that being a real and serious part of what they're looking at at the club. That remains the case. They've obviously had huge huge decisions to work on and still still have as we approach as we approach January but it's very much part of what they want to do and we will see movement on that um in the new year I would expect and so yeah it's heartening to think that I mean there's been kickback from the Premier League clubs it's all about self-interest about how much they give to lower league clubs also about this idea of an independent regulator and so on and so forth I'm in favor of all of those things personally and um you know, I thought, I thought, I thought broadly the Crouch Review was was very impressive, and it's the kind of stuff I would like to see implemented. It's heartening to know that Newcastle feel the same way that they haven't just immediately um, looked to to sort of defend their own interests. That you know they want to engage with supporters, they want supporters to have a say in the running of their club, and that's good news as far as I'm concerned. I'd agree with all that. In terms of the fact that I just want to say the most ridiculous thing came out was Leeds Chief Executive Angus Kinnear, who compared it to, and I quote, Maoist collective agriculturalism. This is what he talked it's about. It's easy for you to say. Yes. Um, which is just, I mean, just when you get these things coming, people saying stuff like that, you just, I mean, it, it's, it is it is incredible that that, that is the way that, that that is responded to and that but there will be there will be pushback against it and maybe not every single point of the of the crouch report that they have to go through with a fine tooth comb and they do have to work out what's in it but again richard masters it was almost like passive aggressive in what he said in one point i think he said um you've got to be careful of unintended consequences and that that's again self-interest coming into this and and this is this is the what the majority of fans seem to want this was a fan-led review they went out and they spoke to fans groups that they've tried to canvas opinion and so i hope I, I, I echo what george says and i hope the majority if not all of it is enforced um, also, uh, in the wake of the takeover as well, it feels like there's been an, uh, an increased wave of uh, Geordie bashing or Newcastle uh, hating going on in the media, which is a very strange thing. But uh, let's not name uh, the former player who slagged off Newcastle this week, Ugh. saying players will be reluctant to come and live here. This is one of those tired old cliched stories that crops up every few years. Uh, but it is part of that wider ignorance that we often talk about. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, these people are paid to have opinions on radio to generate clicks and to generate, uh, you know, interactions through social media in order to drive ad-, ad revenue. Now, as far as I'm concerned, maybe this player doesn't believe anything he said. Uh, and maybe he does, but we shouldn't be too bothered about it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fed up with the back teeth of this now. I just wish it would all go away. And I've found uh, the easiest way to deal with this is by muting and blocking those particular channels on the old social medias and you never have to see well, any the of this best, shit again. The best click you can do is turn your radio off. <laughs> Absolutely. George, yes. But and, and yeah, I, I agree. I mean, so on the one hand, you know, there's obviously a market for for that kind of radio station, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not not knocking that at all. But you know, it's 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 kind of similar to to columnists in newspapers. You know, they come out, 
they come out with opinions. Well, yeah, that's their job. I mean, that's the job. It's the job to stir debate. It's the job to lead debate sometimes. And it can be a very useful thing. You might absolutely 100% agree with the opinion being stated, but having conversations about stuff, generally speaking, is sort of positive. I think that I think the thing that we're talking about here is pretty much sort of lower, lowest common denominator kind of stuff. It's a load of horse cock is what it is. It's a horse cock. <laughs> And, um, and you know, it's nonsense. It's tired old, you know, tired old cliches about the region. I mean, I think, I think you know, at times Newcastle have had to pay a premium to get players. At times players have been reluctant to come. That's always been about where Newcastle are in the league and you know, their yeah. position and their position in the table yeah. and 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 uh, who's running them and who's managing them and all that kind of stuff. If you've got ambition, if you've got a project that people can buy into, if you're a manager that people want to play for, there won't be, you know, there won't be a bother getting players up here. And then, you know, the good ones, the intelligent ones, the smart ones, do get here and then they realise what a great place it is and they fall in love with it and. How how many of those you know how many of those in our not too distant past can we call upon you know people who who didn't come from the region but who came here and were just blown away by it and you know that's the that's the truth of the matter and I don't think we need to go into that any further uh, let's uh, let's crack on and head towards a vigorous crescendo of the podcast uh, <laughs> let's hope Eddie. <laughs> Oh, it's been a while since I had a vigorous crescendo, George, I tell you. Uh, Eddie Howe hopefully uh, can harness uh, the energy uh, and build a Mourinho-style siege mentality. Chris, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, well, just a win would be nice. I just don't really care what happens other than that. <laughs> During the Arsenal game, actually, we just briefly return to that. I'm sort of after about an hour, I just messaged my editor who was on. And I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm ever going to report on a victory ever, ever again. <laughs> I think it's reached that stage. Yeah. But if uh, if one thing uh, the uh, the noise told us last night after Newcastle got denied a penalty uh, during the Norwich game is health has no fury like a Geordie scorned. Uh, so you never know what could happen in the future, do you? We could just absolutely rip the league up and end up mid-table. Who knows? It's probably not going to happen, though, is it? Right. So stormy weather across the northeast, both literally and metaphorically. Uh, it doesn't look like clearing up anytime soon. So batten down the hatches. Uh, and keep yourselves safe and warm. We'll be back next week. And until then, thanks to George and Chris, and thanks to all of you lot for listening as well. From everyone at Pod on the Time, it's goodbye for now. Did anybody see Andy Carroll's goal for Redden, by the way? He took it beautifully. The first touch. Oh, my God. His velvet slipper of a right foot. Incredible. What was that, Chris? Beat the offside trap rapidly. Beat the offside trap. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.